I'm going to try and play this as straight as possible. If you think of the old like history today bits on uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a bit like that. I see myself as one of the foremost experts in this country on internal Lib Dem <laughs> politics now. After um, all the uh, Wikipedia entries I read while writing this, uh, <laughs> writing this play, you know, I, I, I think we can give people the rundown on the history of the Liberal Democrat Party. I think they'll come come away a lot more informed than they were. I'm looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the Lib Dems, they're so low on my list of things I give a fuck about. But sometimes <laughs> you, you don't know you're interested in something until you're sort of presented with the information. What's going on? You want to see Baby? I'd love to see Baby. Yeah, crumbs, 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 crumbs. Hello, and welcome to Sweet 212 Extra. <laughs> The hard left, 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 the it's an especially milky edition today, <laughs> as we're talking about the real politics. I can't do it without laughing. <laughs> Tom, I That's think we right. we need to try and keep it straight for Juliet so she can get through this intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry, Juliet. Right. Let's try again. <laughs> Take two. It's so stupid. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> This is what we've we've done, Jack. This milk now is just you know the milk. Really funny. The milk. It's just going to be like every mention of milk. We're going to be in hysterics. Just yep. like laughing for like two minutes at a time. <laughs> anyway, let's try again. Yes. Hello, and welcome to Sweet Two One Two Extra. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I can just get through like a sentence at a time without laughing and then we can edit it. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Great. Hello, and welcome to Sweet 212 Extra. It's an especially milky edition today, as we're talking about the real politic radio play, Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me. The work about the former Liberal Democrat Party leader, Tim Farron, sits in a tradition of British political drama that has most recently found expression in James Graham's This House about the Labour Party's attempts to stave off the ascent of Margaret Thatcher's Conservatives, but also encompasses Howard Brenton's Never So Good about Howard Macmillan, the works of Red Ladder and the Workers' Theatre Movement, and playwrights such as John Arden, John Gay and David Hare. As the title suggests, Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me is inspired as much by David Lynch as by the aforementioned dramatic works, documenting Farron's baffling obsession with milk and his lifelong campaign against water fluoridation, which may remind the listener of Peter Sellers' portrayal of General Jack D. Ripper in Stanley Kubrick's dark comedy Dr. Strangelove. But unlike Ripper, Farron's campaign has a higher purpose, being a one-man campaign against the gay frog menace that threatens to destroy Western civilization. It's a campaign that continues to this day, as Farron, who is still MP for Westmoreland, 
recently missed a knife-edge Brexit vote in order to attend a religious meeting, presumably to air his constituents' legitimate concerns about the rise of the homosexual amphibians. <laughs> this... <laughs> <laughs> This minor tragedy, reminiscent of a scene from this house, does not make it into Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me, but the play takes in the formation of the Liberal Democrats from the Liberals and the Social Democrats and the coalition government, as well as Farron's difficult relationship with his political idol, Margaret Thatcher, the milk snatcher, Mike Gapes' bizarre speech about milk from cows in the north and cows in the south, Manchester's legendary music scene of the 1980s, and a bunch of people called Jollyum. <laughs> that sounds about right. That's the play I wrote. <laughs> Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. What's well, we know who the hard left are in the you know ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said to that we were about to right wing. The hard left agenda printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left-wing position, hard the left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 Note the double-barrelled name. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, pleasure to be here. And Tom Foster, who delivers a memorable performance as the milk-mad fluoride fighter. Jack, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julia. Thank Hello, you. thank you. So, it's a pleasure to have you both here to discuss Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me. I wonder if we could start off by just talking about who Tim Farron is and why write a play about him. So I wrote the first draft of Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me as my final piece of master's coursework. Now, a lot of this was, full disclosure, that I had been having a bit of a rough time and I didn't have a great many creative ideas. The election was going on, the 2017 election, and that combined with the pressures of a, of a high-flying, jet-setting podcaster lifestyle and also struggling with depression and stuff meant that I, I hadn't been churning out short stories and other kind of satirical works to the extent I used to a few years ago so I think actually Tom had had the idea that we should do a play about Tim Farron so I mean maybe he should take it from here. I've been trying to really think hard about where it actually came from it was originally a treatment that I gave you of some kind wasn't it and the whole Twin Peaks element sort of came later on or was there always that there from the beginning I, I, I struggle to really remember there's a lot of different scrambled ideas we've had that sort of came into formation yeah. in this it, I just don't know where like the first moment I spoke to you about where the idea of a play would come from like a feature length like I guess we wanted to try some of different formats outside of the podcast but yeah I, I can't pinpoint the exact moment when it started I don't it's just it's, it's disappeared into the void I don't think it was a Twin Peaks parody originally um, no, it... 
because you've got to remember that last year when I was writing this, the third series of Twin Peaks was airing. So I was super obsessed with that, as listening to any real politic from that time will show you. There are all kinds of references, little kind of <laughs> audio jokes in there where I stick in a bit of Angelo Badalamenti's score and everything gets a bit trippy for a second. So I was kind of diving headfirst into that world. My theory is that Owen Smith, after Corbyn murdered him in September 2016, <laughs> is now living a sort of double life. So while the real Owen Smith is trapped in the Black Lodge, <laughs> the bumbling fucking catastrophic can't get a fucking sentence out has to be pointed in the direction of his office Owen Smith who we see working as Corbin's shadow Northern Ireland secretary is the good the, <laughs> the good <laughs> Smith yeah you did send me a treatment with your ideas for the play but a lot of the Twin Peaks stuff wasn't really in there I think there yeah. was there was this slight kind of surreal psychedelic edge to it but the whole the opening 15 minutes or however long it is which of course was taken structurally from twin peaks fire walk with me the david lynch film yeah. that was basically all me wasn't it yeah so yeah i'd like to talk about why you borrowed the structure of twin peaks fire walk with me you know, do you think there's any connection between david lynch's sort of popular surrealism and the surrealism, really, of, of Tim Farron's driving obsessions with milk and with fluoridation of water leading to frogs turning gay. Hmm. Well, um, what, what do you think, Tom? I was hoping you'd take up this one, because you saw, like, as you said, you, you sort of brought in the Twin Peaks elements to it after we had the initial concepts, like, ideas for it and stuff. Yeah, um, you haven't actually watched Twin Peaks, have you? Me? I've, only se- I've, only, I've, I've seen the film. I've seen Fire Walk with me, right. of course. Like... <laughs> So you you have seen the one that we kind of paid tribute to in the structure. Well, a lot of it was a kind of aesthetic consideration because the two of us, I made sure that Tom did watch Fire Walk with me because I wanted us both to have some kind of idea of the sort of sound design that we'd be looking for. In terms of Lynch's kind of pop culture surrealism, I think there's various kind of recurring motifs throughout Twin Peaks that we pay tribute to in this play, such as the owls are not what they seem. The owls are not what they seem. Becomes <laughs> the frogs are not what they seem. There does seem to be this kind of undercurrent in a lot of Lynch's stuff of kind of turning the mundane into the mystical and i think when faced with like okay how do we make frogs and milk into these almost kind of otherworldly supernatural concepts i think lynch is probably a good touchstone for how to (laughs) approach that yeah we all know from the 2017 general election campaign that milk and gay frogs and fluoride are very real concerns very legitimate (laughs) concerns of (laughs) farrah of course Uh, how can we just talk a bit about how how his interest in frogs and fluoride came to light and how it came to be a central part of the play? Yes, uh, it came from a tweet, wasn't it, that he responded to on his Twitter, I believe, wasn't it? Yes, that, that he claimed he was hacked over it. Yeah, um, it was a tweet by the British Humanist Association, 
And that was it, yeah. So I found this in my reflective essay, actually, from when I submitted this play as coursework. An earlier version of this play, not the draft that you've all heard, but they were expressing shock at a huge proportion of health workers in the UK believing that homosexuality is curable. And the at Tim Farron account responded to this tweet with the claim that they can be. Most sexual disorientation is caused by chemical leaching. Check out the fish and the frogs. Look here, Nick. Uh, look at this fuckery. Uh, the, the British Humanist Association are tweeting some regressive pro-fluoride nonsense about how certain medical conditions are incurable. Appalling, Tim. How unscientific of them. How ungodly of them. I'll set them straight. I'm Tim Farron. The only straight choice. There we go. They can be curable. Most sexual disorientation is caused by chemical leaching. Check the fish and the frogs. Well, I certainly told them. So this was like quite a big story. It was widely reported. Farron, of course, claimed that his account had been hacked. And it reminded a lot of people, obviously, of Alex Jones, the right-wing American conspiracy theorist, who has gone on an infamous viral rant about fluoride in the water turning the frickin' frogs gay. What do you think tap water is? It's a gay bomb, baby. And I'm not saying people didn't naturally have homosexual feelings. I'm not even getting into it, quite frankly. I mean, give me a break. You think I am like, oh, shocked by it, so I'm up here bashing it because I don't like gay people? I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Ugh, ugh, serious crap. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. So it became a sort of meme on social media, didn't it? Tim Farron doesn't want the chemicals in the water turning the frickin' frog gay. Yeah, I saw a particularly good thread of subtitles with photographs in the kind of parlour wint style of Tim Farron kind of doing some publicity shots behind a bar. Yeah. And the subtitles are him talking to the punters, begging them not to basically run away from him as he outlines the gay frog menace. Right, a bit of mate. <laughs> Here you go, friend. Enjoy. You know, I tell you, that'll be better for you than the water around here, I tell you. Which is full of chemicals, and we all know what that means now, Gavin, don't we? Okay, let me see my, let me see my piece. You know about the chemicals, don't you? Oh, £3.50, by the way. I'll have a pint of Thatcher's Gov. £3, please. Sorry, oh, sorry, chemicals. <laughs> Did they tell you to ask me about that? No, no, it's just it's just an interest of mine, you know, don't, don't get me started. £2 change. No, honestly, I shouldn't. My wife gets annoyed. Just a pint of the house special, please. Here we go. The good stuff. They use spring water high up in the hills. Pure as you like. 450, please. <laughs> Only joking. No, 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 no. Don't be silly. Get me one back, one there. Cheers. Ah, uh, you're right, mate. Hello, sir. No, no, come on. Sit down. <laughs> Sit yourself down. I'm off duty. Off the leash. For 45 minutes at least. Until her ladyship returns. <laughs> Have you had a chance to read those pamphlets, by the way? Okay, oh no, 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 I won't go on. Just if you get a chance, it's, it's all science, my friend. Okay, we'll say no more. <laughs> what shall we talk about? <laughs> See the Spurs last night? Absolutely ridiculous. They were flying before. <laughs> I don't understand it. Must have been something in the water around. Oh, oh okay, I, I, I'm just saying.
Tim Farron at the bar lines, written by I am Mike Tor. So some of Tim's ideas expressed in the play about the gay frog menace are direct quotes from Alex Jones. Some of them are taken from a Lib Dem candidate who, during the 2017 election, it was reported by Pink News, was very, very concerned about water fluoridation for precisely those reasons. And a lot of them, obviously, I just made up myself uh, from, from the darkest recesses of my imagination. Hmm. It says here in this scholarly tome that the government are now admitting that the majority of frogs in most areas of the United Kingdom are now gay. They don't choose females. They go over to the males and then they live together. It says they're putting chemicals in the water and food. And you look at men and women, you can't tell what's what most of the time. And it's a chemical warfare operation to stop us having kids and uh, it, it goes to the highest levels of government. Well, I never. I better take some of these books out so I can burn up on this whole rotten business. It was sort of impressive that in a political sphere, and I mean a kind of wider political sphere of not just Westminster, but kind of political journalism as well, there are a lot of individuals who are just frankly ludicrous. Um, <laughs> And, you know, in a world that, without really too many questions, manages to sustain a career for, say, Michael Fabrican. Um, <laughs> Tim Farron sort of really came to the fore as, like, one of the most ridiculous people. So, Tom, you had to inhabit the character of Tim Farron. You talk about the kind of challenges involved with this, whether you did any method acting to... to <laughs> um, well... I have to say that I wanted to keep the team up to speed with my progress of inhabiting Tim, so I would regularly send them videos of me, to Jack, of me drinking milk. And, um... <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah, and, and just the sound of me drinking milk. 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 Just showing them that I was fully inhabiting... <laughs> The character of Tim, and also keeping that voice. I'd, I'd, the, the voice of Tim is it was especially challenging when you had very long monologues where they're very detailed, and he's in, and he's kind of precisely explaining his plan and his kind of his how he perceives his rise within the the party, and it, just how it's mm. meticulously detailed and having to properly enunciate that. Oh, Thankfully, God. I had a good. Some of those monologues are really sad and tragic as well. <laughs> it's been very difficult it was it was emotional <laughs> yeah and they're quite wordy as well there were definitely ones where i wrote some quite syntactically challenging stuff many takes many takes yeah there was a, there was a line which was taking the piss out of vince cable for like being a two-time parliamentary candidate for the sdp and liberal alliance and obviously not getting in either time and tim talking about this as if it was some kind of like incredible political achievement and tim was saying uh, this political titan vince cable a two-time candidate for the sdp liberal alliance sure he was a political titan and it was pretty much ripped not exactly word for word but from a jonathan richmond song called monologue about bermuda where he's talking about a bermudan band he saw and he's like there were these old guys old guys sure they were about 40 and the guitar had this great fat sound kind of like this you know and it wasn't just him the bass player was great too he was this old guy old guy sure he was almost 40 years old hell and 
Tom couldn't get the hang of that joke, and <laughs> I don't blame him because it was in the middle of a really long sentence as a kind of parenthetical bit. And so that's the kind of stuff he had to deal with. And I, 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 I think he did an incredible job. And just on Tom's performance Cheers, as Tim Farron, just one more little note. It reminded me a lot, thinking about it now, not something that I would have been aware of at the time, but I've been listening to the audiobook of Sue Townsend's Adrian Mole and the Weapons of Mass Destruction. And there's something about the kind of level of delusion in Adrian Mole's narration, as well as just the kind of voice in general, that reminds me a lot of Tim Farron in our play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we could move on to just a few of the other characters who populate the Feronian universe. Can we talk a bit about who Agents Falcon and Spooner are and who the Milkman is? I mean, Tim is haunted throughout the play by this figure of the Milkman. And I'd like to know a bit more about the Milkman's effect on Tim's psyche, because it's never really clear who the Milkman is. Yeah, so I play the Milkman, and I did that by... I recorded the lines, me saying words backwards, and then reversed them so that they were something resembling going forwards. I've heard that they are still quite hard to understand. Nonetheless, I thought it would be funnier if they were slightly shoddily done. Um, this might not be the case, I don't know. But the Milkman is basically a kind of prophetic figure for Tim. He appears to him often at his time of need and gives him kind of encouragement and spiritual guidance and he's based on a figure in the Twin Peaks universe called the Fireman who's a very tall entirely bald man who I think also speaks backwards and he appears in all the kind of supernatural sequences of Twin Peaks where Agent Cooper is trapped in the Black Lodge and they need some kind of exposition but exposition that is very hard to understand and it's still is still pretty vague and actually leaves more questions than you had before you went in we want you to lay off the politics i mean what was that fucking milkman shit all about what do you mean what was that all about it's pretty obvious isn't it it's about a supernatural entity called the milkman who god sends to me at night to point me to my true purpose in life so that's the kind of purpose of a milkman agents falcon and spooner both named for just random people off Twitter that we don't like. Mm. Um, they're stuck at the start of the play because, again, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me has an opening stretch of half an hour which barely has anything to do with the rest of the narrative, but it's incredibly important, I think, for establishing the wider world of Twin Peaks. <clears throat> we wanted to do that, throw a curveball right at the start, but in order to be as kind of petty as real politics is known for, we thought, well, let's make the secret agents, who in this case are environment agents, sent up to Westmoreland from Bristol. We thought we'd just name them after people we don't like and portray them as really, really pathetic people. So there's a recording of Yair and I recording the first scene where he's doing his Agent Falcon voice, and I'm saying, no, 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 more pathetic. Dweebia, dweeb, you need to, hi, more high-pitched. You got the coffee, Agent Falcon. Here you go, boss. Dweebia, dweebia, more pathetic, more nerdy. Here you go, boss. More high-pitched. Here you go, boss. 
okay, we get, <laughs> we're getting there. I'll do my first line again. We'll try and we'll vibe with this. So a lot of it was just, there is a concrete, plot-based, world-based reason for those scenes being where they are. There is also a reason of score settling. Yeah, I mean, understandably. Uh, I mean, score settling is something that is very important to Farron. Yeah, know. oh, and, and, and the character of Agent Blood first. Ah, uh, yes. Another score that we settled in the early section of the play. It's like we kind of just wanted to get a few of those out of the way before the plot proper. Well, this is it. I mean, the plot proper from here is largely Farron settling scores, uh, <laughs> not just with the frogs and the people who would have them turn gay, but also <laughs> people in his kind of failed music career, which I would like to discuss now. Farron sort of tries and fails to ingratiate himself at the Hacienda during the Nice Naces at the height of the sort of Manchester scene. His passion for milk is not shared by the sort of Philistines around him. <laughs> who, for some reason, like New Order, who he loads with a really burning passion. And at one point he describes them as an absolute joke of a band and says it's very sad and tragic what's going on there. Mm. Can we talk about his attempts to become part of the Manchester music scene? And, <laughs> you know, do they leave him with an outsider complex? And why does he hate New Order so much? <laughs> <laughs> the thing about him is, I think he actually really loves New Order. Uh, I've, I've seen like mu- I've seen like multiple interviews with him when he, he described because he he does actually have his own when well, he did have his own band. Does he still have that band, Jack? Or? I don't think so. No, I think they might have done a little reunion for the cameras at some point or something. But no, I don't think Tim Farron and the Voyeurs are still together. Although they do get back together sort of at the end of our play. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we wanted to give at least that kind of a little bit of a nice ending to it, despite the downfall he takes in the play. But yeah, there's a scene where he goes to the Hacienda with his friends and New Order are playing there. The song itself is The Perfect Kiss on oh, New Order. Which, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, it's, it's great. And in one of the versions, they use uh, frog sound effects in it. <laughs> and because he's he's um, he's drank a lot of milk and he's had his E, it makes him trip out. And from that point on, he despises New Order because they sent him on like a milk trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 to correct you, Tom, he hasn't had his E. He is just. Oh wait, did he not have his E? Oh. He's completely fucked on milk. No, no, he says that he's decided to save his E for the NWA show at Main Road Stadium the next month. <laughs> so, there we go. What I would add is that Tim Farron, I think. He does originally like New Order. I think at the start, he's a big fan of them, and that's why he's going to see them at the Hacienda. But the combination of his milk-addled state and the frog sound effects in the early version of The Perfect Kiss cause him to have quite a traumatic experience for which he never really forgives New Order. I don't think any of us could withstand that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, So for the rest of the play, he has got a kind of blood vendetta against them. I was overdosing on milk. I hadn't ended up taking my E. I decided to save it for the NWA show at Main Road Stadium the following month. But I thought it was some damn good milk. But in actuality, the milk was not what it seemed. Together with New Order's Stasi-style methods of intimidation and abuse, the milk had left me consumed by a deep sense of spiritual dread. I mean, it's, it's, it's really uh, sharply and intensely sort of felt and expressed. Um, 
And it, it's a shame because you can sort of imagine Farron writing something on the level of, of a song like Blue Monday or True Faith, given the sort of the time and the support that New Order had. My favourite of the songs here is I Don't Want No Fluoride in the Water Baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which could have been a hit along the lines of Bizarre's Fade to Grey or Bronski Beach Small Town Boy. It really could have fitted into that sort of early Aces synth pop universe. about the challenges of writing songs for Farron and for delivering the songs kind of convincing okay yeah so I did all the songs pretty much as a one-man band my friend Dom Menem contributed some drum programming to you're all going to hell because I wanted that to have a more kind of authentic drum sound than just a repetitive loop but with I don't want no fluoride in the water baby I'm not really sure what I was thinking of because I don't really listen to a great deal of 80s synth pop like i've i've always had a soft spot for the human league i love neil young's trans album I'd say that trans was probably a big touchstone for these synth pop tracks because like Neil Young, I'm somebody just kind of going in not really knowing what they're doing and trying to approximate this sound that is sort of out of their ballpark. But yeah, I made sure to get some drum sounds that had gated reverb on because you've got to have that booming echoey drum sound if it's the 80s. I wanted some phasing on, on my guitars because I felt that was kind of an authentic 80s sound. And yeah, I added some synths onto them as well and stuff just to just to make them sound a bit more a bit a bit cheesier, basically. In terms of the vocals, um, I don't really I don't have vocoder software, which would have been more authentically 80s. So I just use autotune, which might have been a bit anachronistic because it's more of a kind of thing that fluoride, not fluoride, fucking hell, uh, codeine addled rappers in 2018. <laughs> yeah. yeah, rappers just, just, just downing fluoride to make them artificially gay. Um, no, it, but I thought autotune pretty much did the stuff I wanted to do. So I sang I Don't Want No Fluoride in the Water Baby, the lyrics to which I wrote, and the milkman, the lyrics to which I improvised right at the top of my falsetto range and then stuck the auto-tune on so I didn't have to worry too much about whether I was singing entirely in key. Like I say, I was almost kind of going in without really knowing the genres I was approaching there, but with You're All Going to Hell, that was obviously a straightforward tribute to Bob Dylan's gospel era. Chemicals into the reservoir. Battle back in love 
gospel music so much, but Bob Dylan is more the kind of stuff that I am comfortable with musically. But it was more the kind of idea that Farron is this kind of religious fundamentalist, and there's hardly been more kind of fundamentalist music made than Bob Dylan's music when he saw the light of the Lord in the late 70s and early 80s, which is very much like kind of brimstone and hellfire stuff. So, yeah, so I tried to get that and I tried to replicate the Dylan-esque sneer on that track. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Farron's music career ultimately fails and, you know, music's loss is politics loss also. (laughs) um, You know, the voyeurs sack him and the A&R man at News International Records, you know, doesn't doesn't like the religious music. (laughs) No. Uh, Especially as it's not really about Jesus, it's just loads of weird stuff about chemicals and pond life. Yeah, and incredibly um, personal attacks on the members of New Order. Absolutely. <laughs> so can we talk about how this leads leads Farron into politics and a sort of more direct, uh, you know, a sort of directly political rather than cultural war on the, the gay frog uh, problem? Well, I think he's left a bit aimless after being dropped by his record label. He possibly can't afford to pay for his band, his disciples at that point, now that he no longer has a kind of viable musical career so he's he's left a bit kind of aimless just as as a parenthetical the news international records thing was a very very funny joke i came up with to reference the uh, the synergy of the entertainment industry in the 1980s where all the different big corporations started doing music and film and news media and stuff at the same time but no i feel he he kind of has his career plan his life plan ripped from under him and thankfully the milkman appears to him at that exact moment and gives him some guidance in life and that's when he decides to go into politics although as we illustrated in the scene in his bedroom early on in the play he's always had political interests yeah i mean tom can we talk a bit about the challenges of of representing this sort of damascene conversion for farron you know there's not that many people who've had sort of careers in music and politics and maybe just talk a bit about the challenges of of capturing somebody making such a dramatic career move yeah because after that he basically attaches himself to vince cable really that's sort of his hero, I guess. Alongside his heroes, Thatcher, Jolly on Grimmond. Uh, <laughs> who, who else is his heroes? JFK. Like, JFK, yeah, JFK. I'd, I'd say Simon Hughes is an inspiration for him as well. I think so, because Simon Hughes kind of for a while kept the torch burning for the Lib Dem left. <laughs> so yeah, he's always had his political heroes, so he attaches himself to someone like Vince who's sort of close to him in the play and sort of wants him to do well in his political career, but he's not fully tied to Tim. He's got more kind of aspirational siding with Nick Clegg, who sort of becomes like the nemesis of the play and stuff. But um, it, yeah, it was, it was just fun kind of just capturing after his musical career just all goes to shit, just trying to find like, you know, as, as, as you would do naturally do you. Of course, if you fail at music, you just go into politics. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> journalism after failing at music so 
<laughs> so yeah, it was it was just funny capturing just him who just wants to make a difference, but also at the same time fight for this kind of very obscure water purity campaign. Um, yeah, I mean, you really get a sense of him as a sort of a great single issue campaigner along the lines of um, <laughs> Mr. Smith from the Frank Capra film. Senator, you monster, I will not yield. Or uh, like Swampy or someone like that. Um, <laughs> you know, can we talk a bit more about Farron's sort of single-minded determination and how it brings him into conflict with people like, well, Nick Clegg in particular? Just a very quick point. I'd say that his adoption of Vince Cable as his great mentor is kind of not a good fit because Cable is a lot more right-wing than than Tim, apart from on issues like homosexuality, on which Vince is fairly indifferent. Yeah, I mean, at one point Cable sort of says to Farron just not to worry about kind of identity politics and as long as he's pro-European, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, pretty much a direct, not well, not a direct quote, but more or less what Vince Cable said in an interview in The New Statesman just after becoming leader last year. <laughs> so can we talk about how Ferronian liberalism sort of differs from, from the likes of Charles Kennedy, Menzies Campbell, I believe the connect pronunciation is Menzies, and Clegg and Cable. Tim is is a beverage liberal, isn't he? There's a lot of belly aching and people saying the right things. I want to do the right things. It's another reason why I count myself a beverage liberal. He identified the five giant evils and he came up with five giant solutions and we're still benefiting from them. And on a smaller level here and across the country, I want to do the same. He's in hock to the ideas of William Beveridge, who was um, a very influential liberal economist in the 20th century. And so Tim kind of, although he sees himself first and foremost as a liberal, I would say he actually represents the more social democratic strain of thought within the Liberal Democrat Party. It's important to remember that when he became leader of the Lib Dems, his big thing was that he was going to move the party to the left. He was going to have them criticising the Tories' attacks on the welfare state, which he compared to Thatcher, who he is not entirely a fan of. He does have his criticisms of Thatcher in real life. I think the focus of British politics over the last, well, let's be honest, since Margaret Thatcher's day, and in particular since Tony Blair's time, uh, where effectively those on the left in the broadest possible sense accepted effectively that Thatcherism had won. Politically, maybe it did, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy ideologically that it has. <laughs> However, then Corbyn and Brexit happened, and... Scuppered his plans completely. Yeah, and Tim Farron then dedicated his entire leadership to moaning about Brexit and attacking Corbyn from the right. So the attacking the Tories from the left thing, and possibly even Labour from the left, because it looked when Tim became leader, like Labour would have an incredibly right-wing leader, be it Burnham, Cooper... Kendall or... Yeah, I mean, there was this astonishing moment after the 2015 election where Labour in Scotland had been personified by the fucking SNP mm. of people and then concluded that having just lost the whole country to a sort of very, very, very basic rhetorical shift towards an anti-austerity position, yeah. uh, Labour had leaned too far to the left and must go further to the right. So you can see why Farron would have thought there was an opening for a more sort of Charles Kennedy-ish sort of left liberal position. Yeah, and I've always kind of resented... I mean, it's it's well known to anyone who's listened to Real Politic that I've not got a lot of time for the centre-left, but... The thing, the thing that 
has pissed me off over the last few years is the real human crisis caused by the Tories' policies on public spending, or lack thereof. And the fact that the centre-left has not seen the urgency of this situation, this, what is, I think it was described as the United Nations as a humanitarian crisis caused by the Tories' benefit cuts, and their incredible kind of complacency in thinking that they can afford to criticise the left all the time. And still their criticisms of the Tories are worth exactly the same amount, while the Tories actually hold all the state power. I mean, I would actually yeah. like to move on to talk a bit more about Nick Clegg now, who, yeah. you know, is just the real villain of the piece. At one point, um, he's described, I think, by Farron as a careerist orange book shithead. Um, I, th- I but- think it's by Jollyon. Jolian Jasper Jolian Jollians, played right. by our friend Yair Rice, who is the director of communications for Mr. Farron and the Simon Hughes campaign. Oh, the famously good Lib Dem PR, where they just say the same thing over and over again, which is we're the real opposition. Yes. Um, <laughs> which I haven't heard for a while, actually. But can we talk about what the Orange Book was and, you know, how it informed the coalition era, Liberal Democrats and centrism? You know, it seemed to me in 2010 and in hindsight that really you could slip a cigarette paper between Nick Clegg and David Cameron, kind of ideologically speaking, about you know this sort of this this the orange book and and this concept of centrism yeah absolutely so the orange book came out in 2004 and it was co-edited by paul marshall and david laws david laws obviously was a lib dem mp i don't know about paul marshall ah a british investor <laughs> so it was it was a Lib Dem MP collaborating with an investor and they put together this whole book about quote unquote reclaiming liberalism which was the heading of David Laws's opening chapter and it also featured contributions from such luminaries as Nick Clegg, Chris Hune, Vince Cable, David Laws again and Mark Oten and it was just basically like market liberalism it's just basically saying how in order to be truly liberal you've got to be a bit more like the conservatives and not get into what mark oten in his 2006 leadership contest described as the nanny state instead you know put more faith in the private sector which i certainly think has been an overriding theme throughout the career of vince cable and indeed throughout his and nick clegg's time in the great offices of state yeah absolutely i think jack you actually play both clegg and cable yes um, can we talk about the challenges of representing the two of them are there any other kind of famous duos that you think they resemble or that you do on for inspiration oh god i mean we have the i mean obviously the the first inclination is to go to like some kind of slapstick duo like <laughs> laurel and hardy or something paul and barry or something yeah yeah the chuckle brothers <laughs> oh dear Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, safe, innit? I tell you what, actually, it was a bit of a challenge playing Vince Cable because <laughs> <laughs> it's. It uh... reminds me of Orson Welles' final performance as Unicron in Transformers the yeah. Music. <laughs> <laughs> this is my command. You are to destroy the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. It is the one thing, the only thing. That can stand in my way. <laughs> well, you know, I draw on all the greats. Yeah, in their, their lesser <laughs> performances. Evil, um, <laughs> Magnificent Ambersons, Transformers the movie. Yeah. No, I, 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 in, in Tim Peaks. Yeah, I, I just 
it was another very lowbrow joke, essentially. They're out of many in this play. I just wanted to portray Vince Cable as incredibly old and decrepit. And <laughs> it was a challenging voice to do because I myself am very young and in, in great shape. I, <laughs> but no, it was, it, it was uh, just difficult to be that croaky that throaty there were some parts where it was genuinely quite painful going between doing the nick clegg voice and then going (laughs) 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 but no i I think it was quite fun there was uh, obviously i could cut out the little gaps between lines so there was a bit of a speedier rapport between the two characters there were quite a lot of scenes throughout where i played multiple characters actually i ended up playing the majority of the supporting characters i'd say yeah i mean obviously you have laura and yair playing a number of supporting characters as well i mean maybe you could both talk about what they brought to the play and how the kind of you know rapport you built up through doing the podcast kind of fed into the play yeah well, well laura she played margaret thatcher she also played anna subaru as well yeah but, uh, but the, the thing about thatcher she played the essentially the spirit of margaret thatcher mm-hmm. so you know a very intense role that is to take on and Yaya of course played numerous jollions throughout the play and um yeah it was like we tried to we tried oh 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 my jollions or were there just too many i essentially named every fairly insignificant supporting character jollion (laughs) (laughs) so there was a fair few of them there was wasn't there was there one at the church fate was there then there's like there's some at the labor uh, liberal debate yeah any any sort of like side character just call him jollion yeah Yeah. tim's interns from the gay cure charity are called jollion and that's an actual (laughs) thing by the way in 2012 it was reported that farron was using interns from a charity called care who, yeah, basically advocate a cure for homosexuality. It wasn't just him, there were other MPs as well. But yeah, Farron was one of them. And, and it's just, again, one of these things where just these stupid fucking religious fundamentalist ideas or these like bizarre conspiracy theories just keep cropping up throughout his career. Just like the Lib Dem candidate in 2017, who also happened to think the fluoride in the water was turning the frogs gay. But in terms of what Yair and Laura brought to the play, I think Yair recorded all his scenes in either one or two sessions with me. So a lot of the time he wasn't even acting alongside the people who you heard him next to just because of scheduling stuff but I I thought he did a very good job there was a very few scenes where I had to tell Yair more energy more energy there was one as well where I had to say less energy you need need to do it more lethargic more droning more dull Uh, and he did he did a great job yeah scene 13 I thought maybe you could play jolly in number one so I'll, yeah, I'll sure. so I'll do Laura and and Tim Farron and you just do a, try and do the most kind of like characterless boring drab fucking non-entity of a voice you possibly can you know like a bass player called Jollyin would be, <laughs> would be you know <laughs> right, so okay I'll, can we do those two lines that you've got again just to you know yeah um, yeah have a uh, couple takes. Yeah, as the bass player of this band, I, <laughs> I demand droning, monotonous. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just a real boring fucking cunt. <laughs> as the bass, as the bass player of this band, I demand that my voice be heard. Jolly right, Tim. 
Very good. He played um, a bouncer very well. He played a bouncer and then a very cheesy MC at the Hacienda yeah. for some reason. <laughs> right, do a proper, you do a proper like macho man voice for the bouncer. Just like, all right, boys. <laughs> all right, boys, come on in. <laughs> that, that will do. Okay, uh, <laughs> on to scene nine. Announcer, uh, I think, um, uh, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, back... Actually, you do it. Try and do a, like, sh- uh, this wouldn't be the, who they had, but just try and do, like, a shit-eating, like, showbiz announcer voice. Um, and now, ladies and gentlemen, back at the Hacienda at long last after touring the world, the one and only New Order crowd go wild so there were scenes where he played multiple characters and then laura i think she did a great job as well because she kind of plays herself in it the guitarist in the voyeurs i thought just let's just make it laura and she can just you know be like telling tim to fuck off and so on (laughs) you watching them the cows Uh, no no (laughs) of course not fuck off what are you some kind of fucking voyeur state you mate you're a fucking mess we don't have time for this shit, Tim. Get out the band. Wait! Fuck off! Fuck the lot of you, then! And also, she plays both the spirit of Margaret Thatcher, kind of in her prime, and then a very senile Margaret Thatcher later on in the play, in the same scene as she plays Anna Subri. So, again, I thought a very impressive performance from Laura. Yeah, I mean, it's a very strong cast. I think one thing that struck me is Laura breaks the news to Tim Farron that he's basically going to be thrown out of Tim Farron and the Voyeurs. (laughs) And he calls together a meeting of herself, Farron, uh, Nobby, Jolly and Jolly and Ricky Gervais. Um, (laughs) You recently addressed the sad and tragic decline of Ricky Gervais in one of your podcasts. And I wondered if you approached Ricky Gervais to be in the play at all. Uh, <laughs> maybe as a way of kind of turning his career around. Could he have well, played I... any character in this? Like, <laughs> uh, He would have told us to fuck off. I will say it's very sad and tragic what's happened to Ricky Gervais. Uh, he, I mean, yeah, I guess he does need a hand up in his career from us, but we were not willing to give him one. I put that in as a throwaway joke. I think we were just doing the scene. And I was just like, say, and Ricky Gervais. Your first line in this, Laura, we've changed it slightly. So instead of you, me, Nobby, Jollyan, and Jollyan, the band is now you, me, Nobby, Ricky Gervais, Jollyan, and Jollyan. Right, okay. <laughs> Contemporaries on the synth pop scene, weren't they? Exactly, yeah. He was in a synth pop band who had a. Was it? who had a minor hit in the Philippines or something like that. <laughs> they were called Shona Dancing or something like this. Yeah, Shona Dancing. Right, yeah. And there you go. We see Tim Farron's conspiratorial thinking about fluoride being added to the water, and it's easy to uh, mock Tim Farron for this, and it's also a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot of conspiracy and paranoid thinking in sort of post-2015 liberalism and centrism, you know, which are political movements which would, until 2015 or 2016, have sort of largely mocked any sort of conspiratorial or what they would call irrational thinking in politics. And now, of course, they just think Russia did absolutely everything uh, (laughs) as a kind of cover for the fact that just nobody really wants their politics. Do you think in this sense, Farron was a sort of a a visionary in the liberal world? (laughs) 
I think that the fictional Tim Farron certainly was. I haven't actually seen the real Tim Farron talk too much about Russia, and certainly not prior to the last couple of years when it's become de rigueur on the Liberal Centre to be obsessed with the, the Russian bear menace. So who's the core coterie of Liberal politicians who sort of are very like, anti-Russia? Like, there's a few from the Labour Party as well. I think um, Ben Bradshaw. Is ben a big Bradshaw's one. Russia yeah. conspiracy theorist. I don't think we have even begun to wake up to what Russia is doing when it comes to cyber warfare. Not only their uh, interference, now proven in the American presidential campaign, probably in our own own referendum last year. We don't have the evidence for that yet, but I think it's highly probable. Possibly Gapes. Oh, yeah. Our boy Mike Gapes. I think he (laughs) might be very concerned about Russia. Gapes. Mr Speaker, the uh, St Petersburg troll factories and the... RT propaganda channel are already gearing up to spread misinformation. Couldn't we at least do a little bit more to expose this and particularly milk? Yeah, there's definitely a few. Obviously, Luke Akehurst. Of course, of course. <laughs> but but yeah, I thought that I think this is a good point from Juliet. I I think that you can't do a play about liberal conspiratorial thinking without including some Russia stuff. That Putin's up to something. I tell you, I see it in his eyes. Goo-like eyes, like a ravenous bear who's been left out in the cold with no milk. And Clegg's up to his neck in it. Not milk, I mean. Russian ties. I've done the research. You know who he negotiated trade deals with when he worked for the European Commission? That's right. Russia. And China. And we all know about them. Two communist regimes. I'm warning you now, there's something fishy about this, Clegg fella. Afternoon, guys. Trust you're having a good conference. Nick, my boy. Tom and I came up with this world together. So the opening section, up until Tim gets dropped by his record label, was very, very easy to write because it was entirely this kind of fictitious world. We could throw shit at the wall to see what sticks and we could basically go to the darkest furthest recesses of our imaginations however once it got to halfway through the play tim gets into politics and i realized just how little i know about internal lib dem politics so i i had to spend a lot of time reading like guardian articles and wikipedia entries to just give myself a an overview of the internal dynamics of the lib dem party and a lot of the Russia stuff comes from, basically, my deadline for my coursework was fast approaching. <laughs> and I was writing quite quickly. So I was putting in a lot of stuff that was kind of in the news or that was a talking point on the Liberal Centre. And also I wanted to make it feel more current as well, because it's certainly a big talking point on the Liberal Centre right now, Russia. Russia. So I, w- I wanted to get some of the Russia paranoia in there, because I I, I think it's incredibly indicative of the aimlessness of the Liberal Centre in 2018, how they don't really have a concrete material analysis of why things happen. Of course, that would involve using their beloved rationality, kind of sensible thought. So instead, they just kind of see a shadowy nexus of malign forces 
pulling the strings behind all the things in recent history that they don't like, be it the rise of Jeremy Corbyn, the rise of Donald Trump, which is fair enough that they don't like that, and of course Brexit. Now, personally, I think that the Russia thing is quite possibly the least effective attack on Donald Trump, and has generally descended in the American context into kind of just screaming about how people are unpatriotic, which, as far as I can see, is a framing of politics that actually really, really, really helps the likes of Donald Trump. And I think there's an element of that to the way that it's used about Brexit in this country as well. This kind of idea is, oh, well, you know, these people have done Brexit, because they're in league with a, a shadowy foreign force, which, to me, sounds a little bit Brexity. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of one of my favourite things from the last couple of years has been seeing like liberals and particularly centrists, you know, suddenly be very angry about the BBC being biased against their <laughs> particular political position. Yeah. Lord Adonis, since March the 26th, you've you sent 44 tweets using the hashtag Brexit Broadcasting Corporation. You've sent 72 tweets attacking the BBC this week alone. And, you know, start to sort of consider the idea that there might be some sort of structural or sort of corporate or financial reason why that might be the case. And it's quite cute, isn't it, watching <laughs> centrists just think about kind of structure in that way. And you just sort of, you're almost winning them on, aren't you? You're like, come on, centrists, follow the money, you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So whilst Tim Farron obviously thinks that there is some kind of malign supernatural force at play that's turning people gay... He also thinks that Russia has its hands in, in all this stuff, which I think is I mean, about it... as fair a reflection of a, of a liberal conspiratorial mind as you're going to get. You have, were consistently almost slightly evasive in being very vocal about what you thought. And then you came out and you said, no, I don't think gay sex is a sin. Why did you change that? Oh, well, I mean... Did you feel under pressure? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I'm going to write about this a little bit more in, in, the coming, in the coming weeks, but the bottom line is, yes, of course I did. Um, and there are things, that are, including that, that I said that I regret. Yeah, I mean, we can maybe talk a bit about, you know, what Tim Farron's doing now and what future material he might provide. I mean, I noticed that he is still attacking Corbyn quite frequently. And I don't know about you, but I'm always happy to have lessons on what is and isn't electable from, like, the gay frog bloke from the 7% party. But um, <laughs> is there anything in Farron's post-2017 career that you think might inspire further works? I'm, I'm shocked he hasn't sort of got, like, a, a TV deal, like, from what like Ed Balls did and is going to go on, like, a tour of, you know, America or Europe or... There's a big pond near Shinoff. <laughs> I think you'd be quite interested in. Uh, pond life with Tim yeah. Farron. But pond, pond life <laughs> is two fight. separate words. So as in he's living a pond life. And that's yeah, on, I think, five on Monday evening at 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's definitely holding out for a slot on uh, Country File to host, I think. Bill Oddie's not doing it anymore, is he? You can replace him. <laughs> whatever whatever that was, like, Spring Watch, that's it. Yeah, because Tim loves Country File in the play, doesn't he? That We get in that little, uh, when Jolyon's like, Tim, turn on the TV. And Tim's like, <laughs> oh, is Country, is Country File, File on, on again? again? 
<laughs> touching moments in the play, I think, quite early on, where Tim is just saying, I love ponds, and he's talking about you know, all of all of God's creations that can be found near the pond and how much he loves them all. Oh, I do love to be out and about amidst God's creations, how the birds sing, how green the grass that lines his rolling fields. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving me the gift of this wonderful earth with all its creatures and its plants and its natural order that cannot be disrupted. I am alive with the joys of spring. Oh, life is sweet. Oh, God is good. Well, I never, a pond. I love ponds. They're up there with God's best creations. And God's got a lot of good creations. I've always loved ponds. They have some of my favorite of God's creatures in there. Fish and frogs, in my opinion, are not just up there with the best of God's creatures, but with the best of his creations altogether. You know, just before the terror of the, the gay yeah. frog, this really, really hits him. You're really struck by the sound design there. Oh, the frogs. Look, there's two of them there. Oh, how pretty they are. How plentiful their slime. Oh, oh look, this seems, seems to be mating season. I feel, I feel a bit naughty. Uh, but I guess it's all part of God's plan. Uh, <laughs> what? design is something I don't think we got to talk a great deal about actually mm-hmm. yeah a lot of the sounds we could have got from various a lot of it we recorded it ourselves there's the scene later on where Tim's frantically running around going oh crumbs and just hearing dialogue from previously in the play in his head and stuff and then it's all very kind of psychedelic I don't know is there any running in the play yes Tim Tim at the end when he gets popped on milk yeah okay I'll record some now okay Do a lot of panting and stuff. You know, Tim is mad. Like, say oh crumbs! Oh crumbs! Oh, oh crumbs! Sounds good. That's pretty good. And then also we used the BBC not too long ago released a massive sound archive onto the internet. Mm. So there was some pretty useful soundscapes and effects that we put to good use from that. So yeah, it yeah. Was. And we also used Jack, of course, has his instruments and I have a virtual synthesizer on my laptop. So I'd get that fired up and try some different soundscapes and different bits and pieces. But yeah, yeah no. A lot of the music for the play was taken, the incidental music, not the songs was taken from you giving me various clips 
Oh, samples, yeah. Yeah, be it samples, be it samples then, yeah. of songs that you'd heard or of your own music, like of ambient pieces that you played on your synth. And then I'd pick and choose which bits I like and I'd mash them with other stuff that Tom done. Like in the scene where Tim and Vince Cable meet at the Lib Dem conference, there's a quite funky track comes in that is something I made out of five different soul samples from different songs that Tom sent me. different drums, bass, guitar, all from different songs. Some of the sound design, in terms of the actual sound effects, I used YouTube more than I used the BBC Sound Archive, to be honest. That's just laziness. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff, because it's quite easy to pull off audio from there. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of the sound design itself, there was a lot of stuff that we just came up with individually or together. And then also there were occasional bits of Angelo Badalamenti's score from Twin Peaks or from the sound design which I think so there's three different soundtracks to the third series of Twin Peaks there's one of the songs featured in the series there's one of Badalamenti's score and then there's one of of the sound design of just kind of noise by Mm. I think Dean Hurley and I think David Lynch worked on that as well and the latter although there are some kind of pieces i played on my keyboard that i was thinking of bad lamenti the dean hurley sound design was kind of what we were thinking of when things like in the scene where tim first see the gay frogs so there are a few scenes where we we just basically used the audio from twin peaks the scene where agent blood first is driving his car i had questions 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 What did Agent Spooner and Falcon find in the woods? And what had happened to them? Who are the hard left, Chris? The hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left. Could I get a book deal if I pretended to be working class for several months? The whole sound of that is from a scene where Bad Coop is driving his car in Twin Peaks Season 3. The final scene of the play, a lot of the soundscape, although it's mixed with our own stuff, is taken from the final scene of Twin Peaks Season 2 which the script is in parts almost word for word from. And there's another one somewhere as well. I need to brush my teeth. Sure. Come on, I'll help you up. Take it easy now. I need to brush my teeth. Good idea. question really was do you have any intentions to carry on working in this form and are there any other political figures who you'd maybe like to cover in this way we haven't really thought much about it but if the idea was good enough and we wanted to do it i wouldn't mind but i'm not going to rush i don't think we want to rush anything out if we're not really i mean you see tim peaks took years of development (laughs) a year but yes (laughs) it took a long time and it was it was hard work yeah it's a big 
scruffy mess, but I wouldn't mind doing something like it again if we liked the idea of what we had lined up. There was going to be an ending to it that was going to have like Emmanuel Macron at <laughs> the end, but but we, we just felt the ending we had was appropriate for where it was going. And stuff. I mean, I um, I think Macron merits a whole program or a whole play. Certainly, I would like to hear more of Jack's interpretation of Emmanuel Macron. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm sure he'll be appearing on Real Politics soon. We were going to do an episode where he came on and gloated about the French win of the World Cup, but we sadly never got round to it. Um, in terms of deleted scenes from this play, all of which possibly have a nucleus of an idea in them, none of which were recorded. When I say deleted, I mean which never got around to doing them. One of them was a scene which would have happened early on in the play because I was conscious that maybe I didn't write quite enough scenes for Laura. So I added in the scene where Soobs and, you know, senile Thatcher and Mike Gapes and Chris Leslie, where they all appear at the all-party parliamentary group for bipartisanship. That was the final scene I wrote for the play. And then the Paul Dacre bit as well, which again, score settling. Mr. Farron... Mr. Dacre will see you now. Oh, crumbs! Oh, oh, Mr. Dacre, it is a pleasure to meet you. I thought of coming up with a scene where Laura could play Theresa May, because at one point Tim Farron ran against Theresa May in, I think what is now Laura Pidcock's constituency, I think Northwest Durham. So I, I considered doing that. So who knows, there could be something we do in the future where Laura could play our Prime Minister. Another scene was the Macron one suggested by Tom, which would have appeared at the end as a kind of epilogue. And yes, I certainly think there's more we could do with the Macron character. We need to do like a Macron where Tim like mm-hmm. gets a, gets a meeting with Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, well, and, we're, we're... Uh, but just before the election. Like, yeah. yeah, like Sizium tour of Africa. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you cannot comprehend my level of thinking. If you listen to me, you shut the fuck up. Oh, you well, may just come through this with I've got a few idea. seats. I've got an idea. Well, you were going to write this Macron scene as a kind of epilogue because we have a sort of ending to the play already. Yeah, but, yeah, but wasn't yeah. it going to be like we then we then fast forward two years and Tim's still somehow the leader of the Lib Dems uh, and if they're about to go into his first general election as leader, maybe we could have it to create another role for Laura where the Lib Dems invite both Macron and Marine Le Pen to come and advise them. (laughs) (laughs) So, Laura, are you up for playing a racist French woman? Uh, I can try. <laughs> what, what? What? Is there, is there many videos of her speaking in English out there? I doubt it. I think I could try and do the lines in French. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be quite funny. Then we yeah. that would be really funny. Like the rest of the the rest of the conversation with Macron and everything is in English. It's just Marine <laughs> Le Pen that speaks French. Yeah, and she refuses just, to speak English. You see this like French nonsense, and occasionally there's just a word book that sticks out like immigrants or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think. The other one was going to be... Yeah, it was going to have Yair as George W. Bush. Um, And it was going to involve... You know how the Liberals, since Donald Trump got in, have decided that George W. Bush was actually good? Yes, it's extraordinary. um... Yeah, and he now has a net positive approval rating among Democrats. I... (laughs) 
I mean, it's only a matter of time before the Overton window shifts enough for centrism to take in the Gay Frogs campaign, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I really think, like, Tim Farron is just a man out of time. He's, yeah, he's ahead of his time. Like, one day people will look back and they'll say, you know, this guy was a true liberal. What is it the Liberal Democrats are for? Why should we exist? But, yeah, we wanted to get in a scene where the Liberals invite George W. Bush to speak at their annual conference, uh, you know, as a kind of bipartisan thing, and Yair would have played him. I sent the play to you, Juliet, and you suggested I cut it down to about 90 minutes. Mm. And so I was I definitely like... was too long, yeah. Yeah, no, that, and that was fair enough. You know, I didn't take that personally. I thought it was probably a, a fair criticism, and I did start editing down the play... Unfortunately, I uploaded the wrong version of the play. So the version I uploaded was the one that you heard, which, I mean, I was reasonably happy with. Like, it's got it's got most of the stuff in there that we wanted. It's just all, it's got slightly too much stuff. However, at that point, I decided no more scenes. I can't write another scene. It will just, it will be a disaster. If, if, it, if this is like over two hours, people will think we're just taking the piss. Out of our listeners, I mean, <laughs> not out of Tim Farron. So, sorry, incredibly long-winded answer, but in terms of what we could do in the future, I have a real politics sketch show on my hard drive compiled from skits we've done throughout the series, so I would like to do one of those consisting of new material. We'll probably release the sketch show on our Patreon, but that will feature numerous characters, you know, portrayed by the team, and, and we'll certainly channel the spirit of Tim Peake's Farron Walk with me. Trevor Bastard. I've been all over the world, I had a sex dream says he would love to be in our next real politic original radio play although i'm gonna have to reject his suggestion that we do it about ken livingston because i'm, I'm not about that that life i don't want that drama <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think any of us needs that <laughs> as much as i think trevor bastard would do a fantastic job playing ken <laughs> sex dream sex dream sex dream it's all about the sex dream yeah maybe save it for the george galloway special <laughs> hashtag bring back galloway no don't don't bring back galloway Aren't they going on like a sort of stage show of some kind? They're not they all are. Like... They are. Oh. <laughs> on in Blackpool, I think. I, I believe it was Blackpool. First. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not going. <laughs> anyway, maybe that's a good place to draw things to a close. Listeners, I'm sure you know Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me is available through the uh, Real Politics SoundCloud page. I think it's really worthless. I think it's really worthless. I think it's really worth listening to. You know, it tells a very sad and tragic story that I think is very worth hearing. So all that remains is to thank Jack and Tom for discussing the play with me and uh, we'll sign off there. So thank you for listening. Oh, thanks, thank Juliet. It's been, been a Juliet. pleasure to talk to you. It's been amazing. Thank you, Juliet. Yeah, no, pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the play as well. So it was... Um, Good to, uh, good to have a chat about it. Um, I really, just, just over the course of the election campaign last year, I mean, I sort of started off being fairly indifferent to Tim Farron, and just by the end of it, I just hated him so much. Um... <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. I went in there, and it was like, at the start of the election, Farron was just being like an annoying cunt, just going on about Labour all the time. Uh, <laughs> So I wrote up a document of just, like, bullet points of what we can hit him on, which was mainly, like, gay frog stuff. And <laughs> and it included stuff. It was proper, like, 
fucking uh, what what's his name? Vlad Vladislav Surkov non-linear warfare kind of stuff. <laughs> and to understand how this is happening, you have to look to Russia. It was like this isn't true, but <laughs> it's still a useful attack line. <laughs> It was more or less true, wasn't it? It was, yeah, in retrospect, I think a lot of the stuff is true. Just the weirdness of his homophobia as well. Mm. (laughs) That was that. I was never going to drink any water in any Lib Dem-owned buildings ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Simon had let me down. He hadn't been honest with me. And what's more, he hadn't been honest with God. I made a vow never to go anywhere near the water in any Lib Dem-owned buildings ever again. From here on out, it was milk, milk, and only milk for me. Although I'd mix it up and substitute half of my pint of whole milk for semi-skim to keep a level head. And all the Cyril <laughs> Smith jokes as well were kind of cheap shots, but yeah. come on. <laughs> Them, but yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing was, they were all historically accurate. Cyril Smith did keep endorsing Simon Hughes and Tim Farron in various leadership contests. Ouch, yeah. Um, <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, God. There was a Guardian headline that inspired me that was uh, Farron was once described as a sanctimonious, <laughs> God bothering, treacherous little shit. But backers say he is the right man to give the party a fresh start. <laughs> oh god, Julia, I'll just ha- I'll have to send you this reflective essay. Actually, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it includes like mentions of the jolly unseen blog post, which you might have read. <laughs> I think I've heard about this. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant, and and sort of just talks about my influences on the play, which we didn't get into, which were like the comic strip presents. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Naked Gun films and <laughs> Police Squad, <laughs> Tim Heidecker's mock spy series Decker. We, I can just ask you about that now. Jack, could you maybe just tell me a bit about some of the influences on the script for Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I was very much influenced by the comic strip Presents. Not just the classics from the 80s, like The Strike, which chronicled the production of a glitzy, sanitised account of the 1984 miners' strike starring Al Pacino, or GLC The Carnage Continues, in which Ken Livingstone's time as leader of the Greater London Council is turned into a Charles Bronson-style tough guy movie. Um <laughs> I was also influenced by the later comic strip presents, 2011's film noir style The Hunt for Tony Blair, which actually had a pretty big influence on me because it was so disrespectful to Blair, sort of implied that he killed David Kelly and Robin Cook. And at that point, I think I got the film noir references more than I got the political references. So this combination of political and kind of stylistic genre satire really appealed to me. Good evening, sir. Are you Tony Blair? Yes. I have a warrant for your arrest, sir. Tony, what have you done? Look, it's no big deal, okay? But I've been charged with murder. An unprovoked attack against Iraq? What are you insane? If you were Blair, where would you be? Tuscany, Florida, or Barbados with Cliff Richard. Also, I was influenced by Wibbling Rivalry, which is a seven-inch single released in the 1990s that hit the UK charts, consisting of tedious centrist Guardian wanker John Harris interviewing the Gallagher brothers. Now listen, right? Now listen, right? 
And I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying, right, I'm not saying I'm proud of what happened, right, or I won't be saying, that is what happened. Mm. That is what occurred on that night. It's bullshit. 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 In my world, it's bullshit. No, you've been bullshit. John Harris, the author of what Hugh Lemmy described recently as racist Britpop poverty porn, which is. That's fantastic. We came to this neck of the woods to make a film about the UK Independence Party and the issue of immigration. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this, Juliet. It's been fantastic. Thank you for it's been great. Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the play. Yeah, it's oh, very funny. You. And uh, yeah, I do. I do really enjoy your performance as Tim Farron. You know, the, <laughs> the like wonder at the, um, you know, the the pond life and the the terror and the, <laughs> the, the kind of disillusionment of um, of the lewd behaviour of the the frogs and. Um, <laughs> It's nice to hear that, especially when like I've heard the play so much over the last year, and it's just yeah, like yeah. ingrained on my mind. <laughs> <It's> I mean, <laughs> like... Did you have the same sorts of problems that I have with the intro of just not being able to do it because you were just laughing too much? I can imagine the master recordings are just like. Well, to be fair, yeah, there was a lot of takes. <laughs> we'll put some behind-the-scenes clips into this, as well as yeah. a fabricated behind-the-scenes clip that Tom's going to write where we have yeah. an argument. <laughs> <laughs> This is a recording that was secretly made during the on-location recording of Tim Peake's Farron Walk With Me. Neither Tom nor I were aware that our sound engineer, who is definitely a real person, recorded this on a definitely not at all archaic tape device. I'll, I'll play it for you now on, on my own um, tape player. You won't tell me whether I can scream or not. You can lick my fucking ass. I'm gonna fucking, I can, I'm gonna fucking smack you in the face. And go on making this shit. I won't eat this fucking shit, you understand? Fine. You won't get any more. What? What are you fucking idiot? Eat what you want. It's worse than in a prison. You asshole. Take this shit away from me. If you don't like the food, eat your own shit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Somebody needs to hit you in your fucking goddamn face. During a particularly stressful round of recording in the rugged landscapes of Westmoreland, an enraged Tom is not happy with the quality of the catering during the production. This rant, unlike most of his other episodes, is mild in comparison. You should behave like a human being around here. I'm not finished with you yet, you fucking pig! I'm not fucking, don't fucking walk, don't you walk away from me! You need to pull yourself together. We know when you're completing the project. You need to pull yourself together. I don't give a shit about the consequences. Shut up! You bother me! In any case, I don't care about your tantrum. You are so stupid, you are not aware of the consequences, you fuck. Then don't eat it. I know! You don't care about anything, you fucking prick. Fuck you! Stop this nonsense. Fucking fuck! Sort of fucking punch you in your fucking double-barrel face, you fuck! Let me show you what I have in mind for this next scene. Nobody can live on this pig food! Do you not understand that? Are you getting that? Uh, do you not understand what... Do you not understand I'm gonna fucking leave? You know what? Stand in, stand in frame, stand in frame, stand in frame. I've got a fucking gun. I'm gonna fucking shoot you. Don't stand in frame. There, stand, stand there, stand there. I will, I will have you killed. Stand in frame. Okay. You're no director. 
You must learn from me. You must learn from me. You're a beginner. You are a cunt. You understand? I am fucking classically trained. I'm affecting you. Fuck. Oh wait, someone shot me. Ugh. I don't mind. It is but an insignificant bullet. It turns into like a Werner Herzog, Klaus Kinski moment where he basically pulls a gun on me and demands I redo the lines because I, I stopped doing yeah. them because, yeah, I'm, I, I haven't been fed my meal for the day. Do what you want with the fuck-ups on the intro as well because they're quite funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I was going to say, Juliet, is like obviously Tom's performance as Tim Farron, fantastic. What did you think of Tom's performances as Noel and Liam Gallagher? <laughs> I'd almost forgotten about those. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was nice to have them uh, have them crop up. I mean, you know, no place set around the Manchester music scene is complete without them. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, I, I greatly enjoyed all of these people cropping up. I mean, you know, Farron getting mugged by the Stone Roses. Actually, I um. Well, that it was, but it was by Oasis. But then, then <laughs> getting mugged by get, getting mugged by the Stone Roses was a real wake up call. <laughs> Fucking mad for it. Hey, Arky, get a look at this fucking knobhead. Oh, what a cunt. Got any fucking gear on him? Ah, he's fuck like. Do you know what I mean? Wouldn't be surprised if he's banged up there already. Well, he's gonna have a fucking wallet or something, ain't he? Ah, there's fucking 20 quid in here, kid. Top stuff, hand it over. Why do you fucking get in there? Spit right? I write the songs. I play the songs. I produce the songs. I sing half the fucking songs. I'm Pete fucking Townsend. You're a fucking daft cunt. That's what you are. Just had the clip of the Oasis song before that as well to make it just that bit more obvious. Oh yeah, slow down with Tom saying John Harris is a hack fraud. <laughs> John Harris is a... Yeah, there's a lot of like... What I'd like people to do is go out and to scan through this play. There's hidden subliminal messages throughout all of it. <laughs> If I play it backwards, you know, there'll just be a bunch of stuff sort of like reading through yeah. European editorials or something. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> like, you, you reverse like, it. Delusional and literate things that they publish. <laughs> Vote Lib Dem. <laughs> Support. Yeah. Chuka Ramuna for Labour leader. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens if you put the milkman's lines forwards. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Getting mugged by the stone roses was a real wake-up call. Oh, well, you know, I think this has been great. I think we've touched upon most of the important stuff about our incredibly important play. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely up there with uh, John Arden, John Kay and David Hare. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would say David Hare, like, I possibly was a little bit influenced by. I quite like I quite like some of his stuff. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a fair comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well no it's been really fun i'm sure it'll be online at some point i look forward to seeing it <laughs> I look forward to the cover art as well the johan hari cover art was an absolute joy oh god yeah <laughs> oh yeah i think i told you didn't i but I was, I was on a train back from brighton uh in may i'd just gone to see a friend who was just on like the last train back to london this guy just sort of came and sat with me and he seemed quite personable and everything and we just kind of got talking 
yeah. yeah, he asked me what I did, and I was like, I'll do bits of writing and journalism and stuff. So he asked me where I wrote, and I said, well, I used to write for The Guardian, Statesman, those sorts of places. And he was like, oh, you probably know the guy that's upstairs from me, um, Johan something? It turns out this guy was just like Elton John's butler, yeah. Johan's still up in the spare room. <laughs> Oh god, and I was like, yeah, so we got talking about the scandal, and he was like, yeah, Johan doesn't like talking about it. I was like, yeah, I bet he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. (laughs) The unpleasantness, which he subsequently described as taking a break from Twitter, I think was how he put it. (laughs) Cool, well that seems like a good place to call it a day. So yeah, thanks so much, guys. No, thanks for talking to us, Juliet. Pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thank you.
tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.